Welcome, everyone. Uh, yeah, we haven't been around for a little bit. Uh, we've all been kind of busy. But welcome back to uh, the Breakpoint Show. It is December 4th, 2023. And this episode is going to be kind of a, a, a reaction to .NET. So .NET, ASP.NET 8 and yeah. C-sharp 12. Um, and we might throw in some entity framework core because we love that product or anything else. Uh, but I'm gonna I'm gonna kind of set up and put a softball up for uh, Martin because uh, I want to see what Martin's reaction is to uh, to what was released a couple weeks ago. Uh, from the from Redmond. So Martin, what what do you think about .NET 8 and and C# -sharp 12? Uh well, hello folks. Um I'm actually quite happy with .NET 8, although I will say that I was a little bit surprised during the announcement of everything that was new there because most of the things you can see coming, there's C# -sharp 12 evolution, there's AOT evolution, there's entity framework, Blazor, all of those things. But then boom, all of a sudden during the announcements of .NET 8, there was also Aspire, which uh, I did not really see coming. And I think a lot of people who were watching GitHub didn't really see anything happening there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So yeah. For, fo for folks tuning in or who haven't seen the announcement news there yet, uh, Aspire is a tool that you can use to uh, essentially write up your service definitions if you're doing uh, microservices and things like that. So essentially what you will get is an app host project where you can say, okay, look, I have a backend service or an API somewhere. I have a frontend talking to this API. And then you can use C Sharp to define the fact that uh, the frontend has to talk to the backend. And when you run that, you will get a nice dashboard where you can see that both services are running. You will get logs from both services and so on. And then there's the option to bring in additional components, like for example, my API depends on a database or on Redis caching or whatever you want to bring in there. Yep. Yeah. So so let so basically it's infrastructure as code, correct? Yeah, I mean the the official I'm reading right from the the uh, documentation. Uh, the official description is .NET Aspire is an opinionated cloud-ready stack for building observable, production-ready, distributed applications. It's built uh, well. It is the successor to Project Tie, if anybody remembers that. So it's very similar. It's built on top of Docker for desktop. And uh, it uses Kubernetes. Uh, we'll talk about how it uses Kubernetes. Martin will get into that. Uh, it leverages technologies like open telemetry uh, to kind of understand how your application works from a distributed standpoint. And like you and Martin mentioned, there is this app host project that kind of is the, um, the hub to your spoke projects. And in this app host project, uh, you set up kind of how all your projects are related. You can set up things like environment variables. Um, yeah, it's uh, if anyone's used Cake or Nuke, uh, it has kind of a very similar syntax to that in the app host project. And uh, for the most part right now, it mostly supports Azure services. Uh, 
uh, as part of this kind of like distributed cloud ready uh, solution. Uh, but we have seen samples, uh, especially for the folks working on Aspire that reach out to things like Node and you can build your different extensions and stuff like that. So um, it's extensible, but as Martin said, it was kind of a surprise. So there's no other extensions <laughs> other than uh, what was kind of released, which is Azure specific. So yeah, yeah. So yeah, I think it's still a project. I don't know if it's a product. I don't know if it's like fully baked. Mm -hmm. um, well, I haven't it, heard very many people say that. Is it is it really production? I don't know. Is it production ready or? Well, it does have the preview label on it. So to be yeah. fair to it, it is still technically a preview. Uh, I don't know if this falls under, say, the go live license that typically releases with .NET versions, but it is yeah. labeled preview. So, well, good. So we talked about it. Let's let's move on. I I, I think we'll talk about it more in the future. <laughs> Uh, maybe Probably, yeah. maybe a few down few months down the road, we'll we'll spend a whole episode, maybe talking about it and and doing. But we have a lot of stuff to uh, to to talk about. Uh, Khalid, I mean, what was your take on on the whole day of releases? Um, you know, uh, I typically just read through the release notes because I find it's more detailed. I can kind of really dive deep in the things I'm excited about, maybe skim the things I'm, uh, you know, not sure about, uh, like using, but overall, I think .NET 8 is a good release. Uh, there's a lot of invisible, um, enhancements that I think a lot of folks won't be using directly, but will benefit them indirectly. So I think there's a lot of good stuff there. Uh, some of the things people will be using directly that I think are pretty awesome as part of the .NET 8 release are kind of the C-sharp 12 uh, like changes. So we have things like primary constructors, collection expressions, uh, one of my favorites, optional parameters and lambdas, uh, alias and type, uh, or alias any type. So uh, you can like define a tuple in a using statement, but give it like an actual name. So for example, you can say using point equals and then a tuple that has two integers of X and Y. And then now you can refer to that tuple as point anywhere in your in your code. So that's cool. Uh, I think Martin wrote a blog post about experimental attribute. So yeah, yeah. actually in the in the previous episode we talked about using the obsolete attributes for doing yeah. the same thing that the experimental attribute does now. Um, so mm -hmm. if you're on C sharp twelve, forget what I said in the previous break uh, point show, <laughs> because there's a new version out there now. Yeah, yeah, that's very cool. I like it, especially like I said back then. I think it's good for uh, NuGet for NuGet uh, uh, users or NuGet library creators or maintainers now you can have an experimental for new things and obsolete for things that are going away that the experimental may be replacing mm -hmm. um, so i i think uh it's a it's kind of a good uh pair of of new attributes mm -hmm. um yeah primary constructors are are actually pretty cool i uh 
I opened up one of my .NET 7 projects. Um, it's this project that I'm adding hypermedia to uh, to web API. And I got in a lot of my classes, I got Ryder telling me, oh, you can replace all these constructors with primary constructors. And, and I probably knocked out few hundred lines of code from from my solution so mm -hmm. uh and i think it reads better um i wonder if they got that from javascript or if that was a where where did that come from because and i i wonder why they why mads and the and the c-sharp team did that yeah, I mean, my my guess is like people like the syntax of records, but maybe, you know, records records are good, but they kind of come with their own baggage in some way cuz they're trying to do immutability and equality and like people might like the syntax of records, but maybe don't want the behavior of records. So I, I think it makes a lot of sense to move at least the the way you construct an object over to classes. And I think that's yeah. kind of the, for me, that's where I think the inspiration comes from. A lot of people were like, hey, I really like how you write a record in code, but I don't want it to behave like a record. So I think it kind of made its way over to C-sharp classes. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I think it's a, it's a uh, really helpful new, part of uh, the C-sharp language, so. Mm -hmm. so. Yeah, I, I, I do I, think a really nice thing comes from them. Um, like a lot of developers always argue about tabs versus spaces, and I think with primary constructors, <laughs> the question will become, do I make my parameters uh, prefixed with an underscore or not? Because that's how we typically do private variables and so on. So the question is, do we reuse that in primary constructors <laughs> as well or not? I'm, I'm voting for not, by the way. Yeah, no. Yeah. I'm not, it, you can read, you can, I mean, we have so much uh, discoverability in our IDs that, that you can just kind of figure yeah. it out. So, I, I will yeah. say before we move on from primary constructors, I do want to give people listening kind of uh, a place to try primary constructors, which is maybe like low risk. Uh, I've found primary constructors really helpful in unit test classes. Uh, if you're using, say, XUnit to write your unit tests, you typically have to pass in like the test output helper so you can kind of like spit things out into the console. Uh, so instead of like having that, uh, you know, as a field and a constructor, you can switch everything to a primary constructor. Uh, it's also helpful for like injecting fixtures and stuff like that. So yeah, uh, yeah, try, try it out in your unit tests. It's really yeah. Cool. I'm I'm using it a lot when I'm passing around and getting stuff from the dependency inject injection container, things like DB context from Entity Framework, and mm -hmm. if I have caching, caching turned on, getting my getting my cachers, or or even like Auto Mapper, mm -hmm. you don't have to to write all that stuff. You just use a primary constructor to get all that stuff out of uh di and mm -hmm. it just saves a lot of uh 
a lot of hassle to to uh, to do that because I'm lazy. I guess most developers are are lazy, <laughs> and I don't want to have I mean, to write. I mean, yeah. Yeah, go ahead. It removes all of the boilerplate, right? I mean, if you yeah. have a controller uh, in MVC, for example, and you pass in three or four parameters in the constructor, typically the first thing you do is assign them into local variables. And it's it's a lot of codes, a lot of uh, real estate that you lose in the editor, which yeah. with primary constructors is essentially four lines in that case. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, MVC, so. MVC controllers are a very, a very good place as well to kind of start using them. That's a good point, yeah. Martin. Yeah. So. So what else? Uh, I so I'm going to jump into Entity Framework, and I really like the uh, or Entity Framework Core. I do like the value objects using complex types. So mm -hmm. this idea that uh, if and I'm looking at the Microsoft examples, the MSDN examples, where you can have an address and there's no identifier to an address is just, you can say mm -hmm. like line one, line two, city, state, country, postal code or whatever. But then you can use that complex type inside another uh, type that does have a identifier. So like maybe it's a client or maybe mm -hmm. it's an order that has like billing address and shipping address. But the cool thing is, if I have a customer, say I have a customer with an address, and then I have an order, that or that customer has an order, I can assign that same address to the billing and the shipping. And if I change the address in any one of those places, it gets changed in the other places. And now, am I right or wrong? I I Does don't it, I don't think that's correct. So <laughs> okay, well then 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 Steve, I always say that you two are the smartest, and I learned so much from from you. I love being the dumbest person oh, no, in the no. room. Uh, uh, but you know, it's, so, it's funny that section I had to read a couple times. But yeah. the sample you were going through was really interesting. But in a sense, entity framework core, and especially with this value objects using complex types is trying to bring no sequel techniques to like relational tables. So like you were saying, Chris, you have a customer who has an address. This address is tied to the customer at all times. So when you save this complex hierarchical object of customer.address, Entity Framework can look at that complex owned type, right? and kind of blow it out into columns into that same table. So your customer yeah. table will have address underscore line one, address underscore line two, address underscore state. And you're essentially like flattening this complex object graph into a table and it'll improve performance. Uh, the scenario you described like uh, orders and billing addresses and shipping addresses. Um, you don't want to change those once you've kind of completed an order, but a customer can always go back and change their address. Sure. Yeah. And, so and that the, adds the cool thing is, yeah, 
Yeah, the, the cool thing is also that it's uh, an actual database column. So if you want to query, for example, on the location that someone is shipping to, you can still do that and still get the relevant entities without having to jump into JSON serialization or deserialization at that point. So you actually can use the relational database to query that data. Yeah. Yeah, so but then they have the whole mutability, like... Mm -hmm. enhancements for entity framework core so that's that's also cool but martin you hit on another thing there's a ton of serialization uh updates that uh they released for uh what system or system.json what's the what's the namespace system.text.json yeah, yeah system.text dot json so so there's just a ton of serial serialization <laughs> uh updates sorry i my dyslexia and my my uh uh speech impediment when i was a kid words like that twist my tongue all up so but uh i think they're this release for me has made things a lot simpler and a lot better compared to the last couple. At mm -hmm. least for me, I, I think the end business, like developers that are developing like business applications and like production stuff, I think this one gives us a little more, a little more firepower than, than past uh than past dot net and c sharp releases but that's just my opinion mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah I, I think it definitely refines things like staying kind of on the entity framework core release uh another thing i think a lot of people are going to appreciate is the fact that you can now take raw sql queries for unmapped types uh so um if you're a big dapper fan or a micro orm fan uh, this will allow you to write arbitrary SQL uh, to pull items out of the database and map them to objects that maybe are not part of your DB context. So yeah. I think that's something a lot of folks have wanted for a long time, and it's kind of cool to see it added to Entity Framework Core at this yeah. point. So. I think that's going to be important for reporting and APIs and visualization. Uh, yeah. For, yeah, and also data. typically for those for those one-off queries that you would run where you need a specific type, usually you would have to go into modeling things and making sure that you have a proper object for that. So now it's essentially write the query, make sure that the properties map, and boom, you have the data. Yep. Yeah, yep. the the thing I definitely like about it, right? Like the thing the entity framework core team is doing really well is kind of acknowledging that. Yes, developers want to work on this happy path, but a lot of these added features are like optimizations, but they're also like helping DBAs, like database administrators, be part of the process of fine tuning and helping build applications. So, in this particular case of raw SQL queries to unmap types, you can quickly build your feature and get it out there. But then as you get information from your application, DBAs can go in, optimize those queries, rewrite them, and now you can switch out your link queries for something like this that can kind exactly. of really tune and it And there, I mean, there is a limit to link. I've, I've mm -hmm. worked with systems where DBAs handed back a, 
a select statement and I couldn't <laughs> represent that easily mm-hmm. in in link and it was just easier just to to run and in the old days we would have to put it into a oh my god a stored procedure <laughs> and run it that way uh but now we can just put it in and run it like you said run run it as a raw sql statement um Correct, by, by the way quick quick tip there for anyone working with dbas or anyone who just wants to see whatever queries are being executed on database uh and this is not dotnet 8 related but just something that i'd like to tell anyone who uses uh, entity framework that is um before you run a query or when you're creating the link query add the dot add tag uh, methods that one allows you to annotate your query with whatever you want to name it. So it can be the method name, can be whatever, but that will give query you some tags. insights in the logs and so on that you can actually see, okay, yep. this query yeah. comes That's from that a, part in the code base. I've mm-hmm. been preaching that query tags are awesome. I add query tags to, to every link statement um, because like you said, they're kind of comments that go over to the, to the other side and go into the uh, SQLs, into the logs like SQL server will show them, but I always put in like the namespace and the method uh, that I'm calling and potentially, oh, uh, potentially <laughs> also the uh, uh, parameters that mm-hmm. I'm sending over. I, you, you can't send over. Now the, the bad thing is with query tags, you can't have them, uh, uh, they can't be complex strings. So they have to be like just very basic strings. Like you can't do interpretation to uh to add those strings. Uh but uh but it's a start. Maybe mm-hmm. maybe they'll fix that. Yeah, and exactly. Yeah. A- yeah. Allow allow a little more uh like string builder to to uh string builder type but the other thing i like in in any framework is now and it's simple i i do like that uh time only and date only mm-hmm. so that uh you don't have to like break those up and and uh just makes it easier for for uh kind of us developers i guess yeah yeah yeah, uh, I will say the thing that I think a lot of folks will notice moving to Entity Framework Core is the team did a lot in terms of link to, to SQL generation. So uh, they're, they've switched over to using in, the keyword in, more often. So, uh, you know, it's funny, Martin mentioned tagging your queries. That's probably a good idea when you move from EF Core 7 to 8 because the queries themselves will likely change and become more performant as you move over to EF Core 8. So keep an eye on that uh, if you're thinking of upgrading uh, and you should see kind of a performance increase there. So that's pretty awesome to see. So, yeah. Yeah. So, so any other C sharp uh, updates that you guys enjoyed? I mean, we talked about primary constructors, Mm -hmm. uh, and Khalid talked about the uh, alias with uh, any type, mm-hmm. such as like using, and then you can you can have using, and then a name, 
and then that can reference some kind of uh, alias type. Mm -hmm. uh, but anything else? What? So on the list, I see interceptors. So, it, Khalid, whether the <laughs> interceptors in C sharp or or Martin. Well, it's it's funny. Martin and I talked about this, and I actually created a proof of concept. Um, but Martin, you can kind of butt in, but I'll explain what interceptors are. Uh, at any point in your code, if you know the file name, the uh, line number, and then the characters in, you can essentially replace a function call within your code base. So that sounds like a lot of data to just target a method. So you you can write interceptors by hand, but it doesn't make a lot of sense, especially if your code changes a lot. But it's really meant to be in like used in combination with source generators, which give you all that information and then can replace things. So uh, Martin, you know specifically of a place of where interceptors are used, right? Yeah. I think the main use case for interceptors is not going to be um, anyone building a line of business application and so on, although they are kind of cool to experiment with if you have your own use case there. But I think mostly they're going to be used in AOT scenarios. So for ahead of time compilation, what you typically want to do is create highly optimized code that can be compiled to native code and so on. And what you will see, for example, if you're using minimal APIs, there will be a source generator that essentially looks for whenever you call .map get or map post or whatever, where you would typically register a Lambda to execute a certain endpoint in minimal APIs. You will see that the source generator for that is going to write an interceptor for those to make use of a more optimized version that doesn't use reflection and all of those things under mm -hmm. the hood. So while you are coding, you get all of the nice things about uh, having a Lambda and having all of the, the nice language features in C Sharp. Whereas when you compile things, it will actually make it more performant by replacing the Lambda with something statically generated uh, that is not using reflection in that case. So again, I don't think anyone or a lot of people are gonna use interceptors in their own code base, but I do think for AOT, for example, that's gonna make a lot of sense. Um, I think for tools like PostSharp, for example, I, I know they are uh, shipping in their own version of analyzers and compiler and so on. But for those frameworks where you're actually intercepting method calls and adding some behavior before it gets executed, for example, this would be a really cool thing to uh, to actually plug in there. Yeah, you know, you know what's interesting thinking about this release of .NET eight is like it's a demarcation line, right? So I could see there's an era of like NuGet packages and open source community projects which heavily rely on reflection, right? Uh, some of the big names of like Automapper, Fluent Validation, um, yeah, you name it, they're out there. But given the tools we have today with .NET 8, like interceptors, source generators, I'm curious if there's going to be like a rewrite of a lot of these packages in a way that doesn't heavily use reflection. I think I think that's what everyone's hoping for, but it also requires a ton of work and mm -hmm. I'm curious what'll happen there. So yeah. yeah, we'll see if Jimmy rewrites auto <laughs> auto mapper. I, I'm sure he goes, he's probably like, no, no. I'm I'm, I'm gonna nerd let snipe Jimmy else, here. Let yeah. Let someone else I'm gonna nerd snipe Jimmy. With, yeah. 
Yeah. I, I will say there's probably a perfect space. Yeah. Yeah. I will Take say there's minutes. probably a NuGet package out there on out there already that's like does this like source generator mapping. Mm -hmm. Um but yeah, like we'll we'll see what happens. But I think it's gonna be interesting. Like you can kind of draw the line here. So um on that note, I think that's most of what happened in C sharp. There might be little things here and there, yeah. but uh, yeah. it's pretty pretty good. Um, yep. Let's move to the thing that probably most people use .NET for, which is probably ASP.NET Core. Uh, I was going to so... say console applications. <laughs> yeah, that Blazor. Yeah, yeah. Well, yep. console uh, ASP.NET Core stuff is console applications at this oh, point. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, Martin's not wrong, I should say. So uh, have you have you folks seen anything in ASP.NET Core that kind of like sticks out that's exciting, interesting? Maybe, uh, I don't want that. <laughs> well, one, I don't, I'm not doing a lot of Blazor right now. And I'm, and I'm not, I'm not a huge fan of minimal APIs myself. So mm -hmm. I, I, I haven't dug into, into the, uh, the new parts of uh, ASP.NET yet, but mm -hmm. I might over the Christmas holiday mm. when I have some free time. Yeah. But I, what I do you guys say think? I have. I have become a big fan of minimal APIs, and there's a couple of nice additional things in there, I think. Uh, so, for example, one is that in minimal API, you would have to usually um, register, like if you're building an API and you want to make use of uh, all of the open API and Swagger generation, you would have to manually annotate things with method calls and say, look, this method can return a person or a customer with a status code of 200 and so on. And now there's a nice generic attribute that you can use on the method itself. So no longer um, in, in the metadata for the method you're building, uh, where you can just say, okay, this one produces a response type of customer or person with this status code and so on. So that's a nice thing. Uh, and I guess also people who are building more HTML forms and things like that will see that there's more bindings there. Um, essentially, I think minimal APIs is becoming a different way of doing MVC. We're not there yet. Uh, but a lot of the components of MVC are kind of flowing into minimal APIs, but in a more fluent way of doing things uh, versus the uh, the classes way of doing things in MVC. Yeah, yeah. It, it it is interesting. This release kind of has two focal points, and kind of all the work has gone into either Blazor uh, or minimal APIs, but to support some of these features in these, they've had to pull things out at like a middleware level or an infrastructure level. Like one of those examples is probably like, you can now have keyed services in dependency injection. So you can like ask for a particular dependency by name, which is interesting. But I also, I guess I'm old enough to remember that I thought as a community, we thought key name dependencies was a bad idea. I don't, I don't know. I, maybe I'm remembering things wrong. Yeah. It's all pendulum swings back and forth. <laughs> so whatever we didn't like turns into stuff that we like. So I, I except guess. for stored procs, stored procs will never be liked. So All right, Chris. We're we're gonna we're gonna start a drinking game on Breakpoint Show. Every time <laughs> Chris hands store procs, people have to drink out there. Yep. yep. Um, we'll kill half our audience, but it'll be okay. Uh, yep. It's fine. Yep. <laughs> I know. 
So, but I'm, I'm looking at the list. So, someone tell me about the anti-forgery with minimal APIs because that that tweaks my interest to learn more about that. So, who knows? Who knows a little bit about that? Uh, like I mentioned, it is essentially minimal APIs becoming MVC in a different way, right? Um, yeah. You can build. You can build applications where you have a form and typically when you post a form in MVC or in Razor Pages, for example, you add this anti-forgery token to make sure that the server knows that the request actually came from the right page and it was not someone who accidentally clicked the link in an email or whatever uh, and is just posting this data. It's a security measure. Good. Um, <laughs> and you can now also use that in minimal API. So you can annotate your uh, minimal API method and say, look, this one expects um, an anti-forgery token. Do the validation. And if it fails, you can say, look, this was uh, not the right thing to do. Maybe try again. Yeah. Cool. So what about Blazor? What, uh, what, what were kind of the cool things with the Blazor for Blazor update? Um, Martin's a big Blazor. No, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> Just gonna put Martin on the spot. No, uh, Blazor actually, uh, I guess, I don't know if they're still using the Blazor United moniker. I mean, that's how I refer to it, but there's multiple rendering models now. So there's server rendering. So like, think of like uh, Razor pages, but now with Blazor and component hierarchies, there is your signal R, they're calling it interactive server at this point. Uh, so it's kind of the model I think most people are probably relying on and there's WebAssembly as well. So cool. there's those three. Uh, with server rendering, there's this cool new feature. I kind of wish it was kind of ported over to Razor Pages, but there's actually stream rendering. So if in your Razor view, you have a bunch of async await calls it will begin rendering the HTML in chunks to the client so the client can uh, get a faster or get like a head start on processing the HTML um, as things like database queries or third-party services are kind of awaiting a response, you can still get that page starting to render for the client. So mm. you can kind of see it uh, if you create a Blazor template uh, the example they're using is the weather forecast one where they render the top of the page and then uh, the data kind of streams into the page as, as the, like the table renders. So that's, Oh, that'd be cool. Really cool. That'd be yeah. cool for like stock for like uh, stock prices and as mm -hmm. like that, that real time, real time data streaming comes in. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, to, I will remember that when if I do Blazor in the future. So <laughs> it, it's pretty cool. I, I will say the one thing that I know Martin and I both love, we love tag helpers and tag helpers aren't currently compatible with the component model Blazor. So I'm still I'm still bummed that we gave up this thing tag helpers, which is super cool for this component model, which I don't know, it's, a, it's all right. It's okay. Yeah. But <laughs> speaking of component model, there is now also a new component that you can use in your Blazor applications, and that is the quick grids. So essentially, if you need anything that resembles a, a data grid, like in good old ASP.NET web forms, this, 
Uh, you can actually use the quick grid and show a nice grid that you can sort with, that you can do pagination and things like that. Yeah. I don't know. I've, I've never seen a business application use a grid, so I don't know how. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> I think they, they uh, <laughs> yeah, there's probably lots of component, third-party component makers out there. They're like, oh, now our, our grid component is uh, obsolete. So. I, I will. I will say the quick grid is a, like a nice starting point, especially for folks, but it's not it's not as feature rich as something from say like Good. Syncfusion or Telerik or something like that. Good. So Good. I think I think there's enough room for a lot of options in the space. Uh, I think this is a good option uh, for folks. Okay. Um, the the last thing that I saw with Blazor was like more Signal R work to make it resilient. So a big issue with WebSockets is, you know, it's a it's a live connection between the client and the server, and sometimes, you know, bad internet, um, unreliable networks, things can kind of disconnect. Uh, so there's more stateful reconnects now in SignalR. So if your client gets disconnected because they're driving through a tunnel and they come out the other side of the tunnel, then kind of just reconnect back to the same session. Cool. So awesome. that's pretty cool. Yeah. That's cool. Well, we are kind of winding down our time. Any last thoughts on uh, on .NET 8 and C Sharp 12? Or, or even, I know they've even announced all the preview, like their thoughts on what's coming out in, in .NET 9. Mm -hmm. um, so, so what's your last thought, gentlemen? Go ahead, Martin. Go ahead. Uh, last thought is I, I like the changes. A lot of them are evolutionary rather than revolutionary, I would say. But maybe that's also a good thing with the fact that uh, if you look at all of the different developer surveys out there, even the one from JetBrains uh, where I work, uh, you will see that a lot of people are on older versions and are not yet caught up to with all of the new things. So I think evolution at this point is probably a good thing for our community yep. as well. So I like mm -hmm. that. Um, there is some revolution, although it's all small revolution, but AOT, for example, is something that I'm really looking forward to in .NET 9 to see more support for that, to hopefully also get entity framework support um, with AOT so that whenever you compile your minimal API that is using a database uh, using entity framework core could, for example, be shipped as a, as a 20 megabyte Docker container because you compile it to native codes. And that is that would be quite cool. Mm -hmm. That would be. Yeah, I, I guess my overall thought, it, it does echo what Martin's saying a little bit. I think it is more evolution than revolution. I think the bittersweet part for me of this .NET 8 release is like, there is a lot of good stuff, but you know, I know the .NET team has a limited amount of resources and they're focusing on certain parts, but it also means that other parts that I've grown to love and be fond of, things like Razor Pages and you know, those things are kind of not getting any more focus and attention or it doesn't look like it is. So it is kind of bittersweet that this thing that was starting to kind of become mature and people are building on top of and rely on is looks like it's essentially done. Whereas the things that are meant to replace it, things like minimal APIs and Blazor, while they're capable are still also works in progress. So yeah. we're in this like weird limbo again. Yeah. And 
I'd love I'd love for ASP.NET to just ASP.NET Core specifically just to be like stable for a while so we can get more folks in the community building on top of these things that are stable and expanding the options and the perspectives of like how to build on top top of this stuff. Yeah. So that that's yeah. Uh, yeah, you're right. If you take a look at some of these uh, these surveys results that that like JetBrains and other other uh, people in the industry are releasing, yeah, I mean, like Martin said, most people are still on. Sadly, they're still on .NET framework. Mm -hmm. It's true. So we have lots of apps that need to be kind of ported over to to dotnet core or dotnet current uh but i also see that that uh like like you said we're, we just we are and blazer is still a very small mm -hmm. kind of segment do i think that blazer will ever surplant uh like uh react and angular and those type probably not I, I i think so have we reached where most companies large companies have enough skill and enough expertise in in javascript to justify blazer who knows so that's my that's my take and mm -hmm. it's not a negative take it's just it's just that balance and mm -hmm. I understand it's it's great. You want to re-leverage, you want to leverage your existing .NET and C sharp skills to do some of that uh uh computing inside the browser. But I always say uh do we need we need more of a balance between the browser and the server. So so who knows? Who knows? Yeah. I, I'm kind of meandering around, but that that was my that was my take. I'm kind of with you, Khalid. I I think we need to put some some more love into the uh, razor pages and some of the server side mm -hmm. uh, web technologies, especially now with people are getting faster pipes and I it's easier i think it's easier to do server side web development than than client side uh but that's just me so yeah I, I again i think blazer will eventually get there obviously given enough time resources and effort it will get to that point but what happens during the time right like yeah um so we'll see um cool. I think it's good. I think overall yeah. good. I'm gonna be I'm gonna be pot end this on a positive note and say this was a good release uh, overall. I yes, think it was absolutely. an excellent release. I think yeah. it was I think it was the best release for the last three or four years. So that's my opinion. I think mm -hmm. it it moved the needle uh, very well, and and I think right. uh, yeah yeah, and it's an LT, it's a LTS right or I think it's so, long-term yeah. support. So, so that's the other positive that this one's going to be supported for, for quite a while. Uh, so, and then, you know what, this just 
gives us some ideas for uh, digging in a little deeper in future episodes where people want to have us talk. So, so I'm going to uh, ask the audience, uh, you four or five people out there that, that uh, are listening, where do you want us to go uh, with, with uh, kind of exploring? Is there some not, non.net stuff that we should be looking at is there some some details that we talked about today that that uh you want us to go deeper we have ideas and we're always talking about future episodes but i think the more interesting episodes we've done so far have been from people that have hit us up on social media out on x or blue sky or mastodon and we're all all over there uh or you can hit us up on individually on uh linkedin if you're on linkedin so so but um but yeah let's know what you what you guys want we're gonna be i think we're gonna be getting back onto a more normal cadence uh now that the uh conference season is winding down i know martin still has one last conference next week that he's uh no, this, this week actually so next week, week we can re- week. we can record every single day if you want well good good we're so we'll we'll get some more content uh over the the uh holiday season so but i want to thank everyone thank you martin thank you khalid uh and i hope the holiday season is is treating you guys well and uh yeah And everyone out in the audience land, thank you very much. Uh, We'll get this out ASAP. And please just let us know what we can do, how we can make things better. Uh, If you want me to say stored procedures less, then let me know about that too. So, uh, (laughs) no more, Chris, more. People want to be jolly and drink. Yeah, yeah old man woody talking about uh old stuff well but, on that uh, on that note I'm, i would say if you like stored procedures also give us a like if you're watching or listening to this on youtube yeah. or any of those platforms and subscribe yep. for next episode subscribe down there so uh or subscribe wherever the subscribe button is on on youtube also and and let us know you can just Put comments in on YouTube what you want us to uh, to talk about next. But uh, thanks, guys, yeah. and we'll be back next week. Yeah. Bye, everybody. Bye. 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 See you folks. Bye. Bye. Procedures. Bye.